my name's Josh, and um, before I kind of get into the, the scriptures and get into what I have to say, I'll just say a few things about myself just to help you to know who I am. Um, so yeah, my name's Josh, um, from Plymouth originally, still live in Plymouth, and I love it here. And um, I'm currently in my second year studying applied theology at Regent's Theological College, um, and I absolutely love it. And I love the Bible, I love learning about God, and I love putting it into practice. Um, and also, as part of my placement here, I oversee the young adults in the church. Big up all you guys over here. Um, and yeah, I just love seeing people grow in their faith and seeing people taking steps towards Jesus, because he is everything. Um, and today we're going to be uh, talking a bit about Christmas, evidentially. But um, I want to start by telling a little story. Um, so who in here has ever baked a cake? Okay, lots of you, that's good. Um, and the other day, I, I came home, I'd just been out, and I opened the door, and I just get this whiff of this amazing smell coming to my nose. And I'm like, Mum, what have you been baking? Straight away is the first thing I said. Um, and to my delight, there was cake, there was cinnamon buns, and there was little cupcakes as well. And I was like, this is the best day ever. And... Um, <laughs> But actually, when you think about making a cake, the whole process seems really weird. You put some eggs, some flour, sugar, butter into a bowl, mix it around, and maybe some, I don't know, coffee, if you're making a coffee and walnut cake, which is my favorite, by the way. Um, and then you put it in the oven, and then it comes out in this, this amazing cake. It smells amazing, and it's just the best thing ever. And um, anyway, back to my mum. I said to her, so the first thing I said to her was, what have you been baking? To which she said, cake, cinnamon rolls, etc. The second thing I said, can anyone have a guess, was can I have some, evidentially. And, um, but my mum said, no, you have to wait, they've just come out the oven, they need to cool down a bit. And I was like, are you serious? I've just got home, I'd love to eat some cake right now. But anyway, that's besides the point. Um, and in Jesus' time as well, the Jews were, were waiting for someone. They were waiting for this person called the Messiah. And it was this uh, person they were expecting who was going to come and save them from the Romans. They were going to overthrow the Romans and they'd be uh, saved. And um, just like I was, had to wait to eat the cake, the Jews were also waiting for something. Um, and the Messiah that came, this Jesus that came at Christmas time, uh, he wasn't what they expected. He wasn't the, the cake that I smelled as I walked through the door. And um, they were expecting this military leader who was going to come and overthrow Rome and they would be free and it would be amazing. But actually, he came as a baby. He came, we all know the Christmas story, he came in a stable and he came as a baby, which is, is amazing, really. Um, and if you ask my mum, uh, when you expect, she sometimes uh, doesn't always make cakes the right way, put it that way. Um, and just as the Jews didn't expect Jesus to come as a baby and a, a servant and to die, sometimes uh, you don't always expect cakes to turn out how you expect um, but actually, when you make a cake or when you bake anything, you have the end goal in mind. You don't think, oh, I, I feel like I'm going to just throw some sugar and flour and eggs together and just see what happens. No, you, know, you say, I'm going to make a cake. And um, you picture a nice sponge cake or a coffee and walnut cake or whatever your favorite cake is. Um, I'll leave that to your imagination. But um, you have that end goal in mind. And the reason I'm telling you about cake today, apart from the fact I love cake, um, is it's the end product that gives the significance of anything. Um, so today we're going to be looking at the reason behind why we celebrate Jesus' birth by looking at the end. Um, and why do we celebrate the birth of Jesus? It's a, it's a question that kind of circles around this Christmas period. 
And you can kind of expand it a bit to why do we celebrate anyone's birthday? Think of your favorite celebrity like Elton John or Andy Murray or David Attenborough. Um, I'm thinking of celebrities here, but when it's their birthday, you see all over social media, sometimes on the news, people flooding in with birthday wishes when they've not even met them. And um, the reason behind this is because of one of two things, either what they did or what they're doing. And um, the reason we celebrate the birth of Jesus is because of what he did for us. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be looking at the cross, what Jesus has done for us to help us understand the real meaning behind Christmas. And to help us understand this, we're going to be looking at two stories from the Old Testament to kind of, when read together, it'll help us piece together uh, this understanding of of Christmas. Um, And if you have your Bibles with you, um, I'd love for you to turn to Numbers 21. And um, if you don't have a Bible, on the windowsills around the church, there's some Bibles you can use and borrow um, for the service. So if you get up at your seat um, to get a Bible, that's okay. Um, yeah, so Numbers 21. Uh, and to give you some context, it was the people of God, the Israelites, were in the wilderness. They'd, they'd left Egypt, they'd left slavery, and they were in the wilderness for 40 years. And they didn't really enjoy their time. Uh, this, this story in Numbers that I'm going to read is the 14th time they complained. And you get uh, some car rides when someone's driving, and then you just have one of the children in the back, and they're just complaining, are we nearly there yet? Are we nearly there yet? And this is what the Israelites were doing. They're like, oh, we wish we could just go back to Egypt. It was so much better than all of this. And um, yeah, I'll read this passage now. Numbers 21, verse 4 to 9. Uh, they traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There's no bread, there's no water, and we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, he lived. Um, So this story is um, not massively well known um, by any means, but it's a really fascinating story. And um, to kind of recap, the people were very impatient and they didn't trust God, they didn't trust their leader Moses and as a punishment for their kind of rebellion, God sends these serpents to, to attack them, and they were getting bitten and dying. And um, the people are crying out, they're like, we need, we need saving here. So God tells Moses to make a pole, so imagine this is the pole, and put a serpent up on top. And if you looked at the serpent, you'd be healed. Um, and the reason this happened, uh, well, first of all, the reason the serpent was bronze was um, bronze was thought to represent judgment, uh, it's based on when they put bronze through the furnace, and it was a representation of judgment. Um, so the judgment of the, the people getting bitten by the snakes was passed upon to this snake. Um, and it also stems from this ancient belief around the time in some of the surrounding nations that an image of something on a pole would heal the land from that thing. So, for example, if there was loads of frogs in the land, they'd set up this pole and they'd put a frog on top, and they'd believe that that would get rid of the frogs in the land. And um, so that's what happens here. And 
In the 1960s, actually, they found a, um, archaeologists found a five-inch long copper snake uh, in a tent shrine in Israel, um, which dates between 1200 and 900 BC. So it was a common belief, a common practice around this time. And God used this belief and used this symbol to heal the people. It became a place of healing in the desert for the people. And they weren't just healed from the presence of it. They had to actually turn their eyes upon the serpent to be healed. And um, Isaiah 45, 22 says, Turn, or in some translations, look to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. And the reason I'm telling you this story um, is because actually Jesus himself talks about it. Uh, in John chapter 3, uh, to set the scene, Jesus is with this guy called Nicodemus. And Nicodemus was kind of like your teacher of teachers. He was a member of the, the Jewish high council, and he was very respected. He knew his Bible very well. And um, John 3, verse 14 to 16, if you want to follow along, uh, it says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And here Jesus is using this image of this serpent on the pole uh, to, first of all, as a euphemism or a, a representation of the way he would die on the cross. Um, he was speaking to Nicodemus, who would have known this story very well and known the implications behind it. He would have known about how the bronze represented judgment. Um, so when Jesus is saying this to Nicodemus, he's saying, I'm going to be lifted up with the judgment upon me. Um, and the second story of the Old Testament ones, which hopefully when we read them together, when we understand them together, it will help us to, to see this in a, a clearer way. Um, it also has a serpent in it. Uh, Genesis 3, verse 1 to 6. So if you want to turn and follow along, you can. Um, this is also a story of a serpent. And uh, to put you in the place... Uh, God had created the universe, he created uh, Adam and Eve, the first humans, and he made this beautiful garden for them. And God said, you can eat any of the trees in the garden, you can eat the nice apricot trees, you can eat the bananas, whatever it was, but you cannot eat the tree of knowledge and good and evil. That was the one thing that God said. And we find out in this story that it doesn't quite go that way. Um, so Genesis 1, Genesis 3, verse 1 to 6. Uh, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. Uh, he, went, he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. So um, this is the second of our two stories here today. And um, yeah, so this is the, it's known as the fool. Um, many of you will know it as the fool. And it's it's thought to be the first time where humanity turned their back on God, where they rebelled against God. And they basically had this choice. They could either go God's way and trust in God that what he said was right and good, or they could go their own way. And God gave them free will, and they chose to go their own way. And this wasn't all Adam and Eve's fault. 
Um, they are partly to blame because they ate the fruit. But actually, the serpent in this story is a big part of it. Um, and the serpent, we know, is, is Satan. He's the, the enemy of, of God. He was a fallen angel. And um, the serpent, he, he comes to Eve, and he, he starts telling half-truths. He's saying, did God really say this? Or he said, you won't surely die. And he's kind of planting these seeds of doubt in Eve's mind. And he was, he was cunning. He says he was crafty. And um, Eve, Eve fell into that temptation, and Eve took the fruit. And this is the moment where sin enters the world and uh, separates us from God because our relationship with God when we sin is, is made distant. And um, yeah, like the people in the, the desert in the previous story, they needed something to save them. They were going to die of their, their venomous bites and the same with us because when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, that has now affected all of us here today, whether it's me, whether it's you, whether it's the Pope or the Archbishop of Canterbury, the Queen, the King of anywhere, all of us are affected by sin. And um, you could describe this story as the original serpent bite, um, if you uh, use your imagination a little bit. Um, anyway, so back to Jesus, uh, with this conversation with Nicodemus. Uh, Jesus is saying, I must be lifted up uh, like the serpent. And as I said before, he's, he's using this as a, an image of his crucifixion. He's saying, I'm going to be lifted up on the cross for people. Um, taking upon the judgment of the people like the bronze serpent did, but also that Jesus would be a place of healing in the wilderness, just as the serpent was that place where if they looked at the serpent in the wilderness, they were healed. Jesus did the same for us. And this isn't a physical wilderness, um, as in numbers, but a spiritual one. Um, the bite of the serpent in Eden caused us to enter into a spiritual wilderness. We all have sin within us. We all have that nature to do wrong, to rebel against God. And we've been bitten by the serpent, um, if you use your imagination. And actually, when Jesus was hung on the cross, when he was there dying, when he was in pain, when he was being tortured and laughed at, he was that place of healing for us from that bite of the serpent. And it all stems back to that original ancient belief that an image of something on a pole would heal the land from that thing. And Jesus became the serpent for us so we could be healed. Um, and all we have to do to receive that healing is turn our eyes upon Jesus and to trust in what he's doing for us and what he's done for us. So I guess the real, the real message here is why do we celebrate Christmas? Well, firstly, because Jesus came to be lifted up on the cross for us. That was what he came to do. So we celebrate Jesus' birth because of what he did and what he came to do for us. Secondly, he became our place of healing in the wilderness in our spiritual wilderness. He, he freed us from the, the clutches of sin. He freed us from the bite of the serpent in Eden. And thirdly, he healed us from that bite. We are now free from sin. We're now free from the venom that is affecting all of us and we can walk in that freedom because of what Jesus did. Um, and if you're sat here today and you're thinking, I've not really received this healing. I've not accepted Jesus into my heart and you would like to, um, in a moment, we're going to pray this prayer together. But um, this is, is really significant because the, the story in Genesis 3 where the fall, where Adam and Eve rebelled against God, is a, a disease that affects all of us. The sin of Adam and Eve is spread into all of us. And 
that doesn't just mean we do wrong things. It means we're separated from God. It means we can't access God when we go to heaven, when we die. And this is really significant because um, the other option to heaven is, is hell. And it's not nice to talk about, but that is the reality of it. Um, but actually, the good news is that we can just look to Jesus and trust in him as they looked to the snake and trusted in what God had done for them and be healed and be set free. Um, so if you haven't done that and you would like to, um, I'd invite you to pray this prayer of me in your heart. Jesus, I thank you that you love me, despite all of my failures. I'm sorry for where I've turned away from you in my life. I ask for your forgiveness and your mercy. And I invite you to be my place of healing today. Help me to love you how you loved me. In Jesus' name, amen. And um, if, you, if you prayed that prayer, if you followed that in your heart with me, um, we'd love to speak to you after. One of the pastors here um, would love to just hear from you and give you some guidance and next steps for how to start that journey of freedom that Jesus brings with the cross. Um, and that, that's not all of you. And maybe some of you in here, you've already received that healing. You've looked upon the serpent on the pole, metaphorically. You've looked towards Jesus. You've trusted in him. You're like, yes, I've got it. But then you start to kind of drift away. You start to fall away from the path. Or maybe you've just completely turned your back and you've just like walked away from Jesus. Or maybe you've just been tangled in a sin that you just cannot seem to shake off. And that place of healing is for you as well. It's not just for the people who are doing it for the first time. It's people who are doing it for the second, the third, the tenth, the hundredth time. Because that is grace. Because that is how good our God is. And I'd, I'd love to pray a prayer with you as well. Um, if you want to come back to Jesus, if you want to turn your eyes back on the serpent on the pole, uh, the place of healing for you. Um, so if that's you, I'd love you to pray this prayer with me. Lord, I'm sorry that I've drifted or walked away from you. I've realized that I need you more than anything to be my place of healing. I'm coming back to you now. Fill me with your Holy Spirit again. In Jesus' name, amen. And I'm going to finish in a moment, um, and if the band would like to come up in a moment. Um, but I just want to finish with a, a quote and then a little challenge for us all here. Um, this quote by A.W. Tozer um, really sums it up. It says, Salvation was bought not by Jesus' fist, but by his nail-pierced hands. Not by muscle, but by love. Not by vengeance, but by forgiveness. Not by force, but by sacrifice. And um, for the rest of you, if you haven't prayed any of those prayers, um, I'd love for this to be something that you can take forward as we go into this Christmas time next week. Um, so if you, if you have a notebook or your phone, or there's some post-it notes down at the front here, um, I'd love for you all to write three names down um, of people you know that you'd love to receive that same healing, whether you've just received the healing today or whether you've received that healing 10, 20 years ago. Um, our faith is something that is, is beautiful and amazing, but it's something that we want to share with people because if someone got you the best gift for Christmas, you wouldn't want to just keep it yourself. You want to be like, look what I've got for Christmas. Um, and it's the same with the gospel. It's the same with what Jesus has done for you. It's something that is so good and so amazing that we cannot help but share it. Um, so on your notes app on your phone or a notepad or one of these post-it notes, um, if the band would like to come up as well, um, 
just write down three names. Uh, it could be family members, friends, people you know from work or college or university or school. But um, write down those three names and just as a reminder of people that you want to commit to praying for and you'd love to just hear that story of Jesus. Um, and yeah, I said, even if you've just received that healing today, received that salvation today, it's something that we can share and take forward with us. Um, and that, sharing that story might look like inviting them for a, to church here. It could look like inviting them to an alpha course or to um, an event that the church is holding. Or it could even just be going for a coffee or a Bible study or literally just telling them how Jesus has changed your life. And I think story and testimony is one of the most powerful things um, when sharing our faith because it's actually personal to us. And we can say, this guy Jesus, he has changed my life. And if they know you well and they can see that in you, um, then that'll be so much more powerful. So my challenge for you all today is, you've heard the story of Jesus being our place of healing in the wilderness. You've heard our, the story of Jesus healing us from the bite of the serpent. Now go and share with others. Um, so yeah, why do we celebrate Christmas? We celebrate the birth of Jesus because of what he did. More than anything. Because Jesus came as a baby, but actually he died as a servant. He died as a king and a savior for us. Um, so let's go and tell the story of what Jesus has done. So would you stand with me as, as we finish? And I'd love to just pray with you. And if you wanted to grab a poster note from the front during this song, um, you're more than welcome to. But um, yeah, let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for what you did for us. Lord, I thank you that the reason we celebrate your birth is because of the amazing things you've done. Even things like teaching and healing, Lord, but ultimately we thank you for the cross and we thank you for the sacrifice that, that set us free. And Lord, if, if anyone here is, has been set free today by praying that prayer and by receiving you into their life, Lord, I pray that that would be the start of a, an amazing journey with you. Lord, help us to share the story of you. Help us to tell us, tell others about what you have done for us. And Lord, give us, our, help our eyes to be fixed on you as we sing now this final song. In Jesus' name, amen.